Now we bury the treasure. Uh, Captain? Captain, I know we usually bury the treasure, but what if this time we use it to buy things? You know, things we like. <laughs> we'll dig up the treasure in the seven yard. I've drawn a map on this cracker, which Polly will hold for safekeeping. So you see, there's treasure everywhere. Hmm. Okay, here's the deal. Crowns and doubloons are mine. Snuff boxes and cameos are yours. Now, as for wands and scepters... It's a bottle cap. Jewel encrusted? Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And does Henry not remember his entire life what do you mean i feel like this episode kind of hinges on henry not remembering the fact that he's like saved the world or at least his family a whole bunch no he doesn't i'm talking about in the flashbacks oh right yeah like i don't get the reasoning behind the flashbacks in this episode it doesn't really seem to tie into the main plot at all it's i mean it thematically ties in because it's about Hook being a dad. Henry being worthy of Jacinda. But, as you said, he has two different godhoods. So, you know, worthy. Worthy. And I get it, like, you know, everyone has imposter syndrome, blah, blah, blah. But, like... Yeah, Henry's imposter syndrome is out of control. You literally just pulled off a revolution and instated a new seat of power in this country. Apparently. Oh, oh. yeah, that too. <laughs> Anyway, this is episode 16 of season 7, Breadcrumbs. Which also barely relates to what happens in this episode. A lot happens, though, so points to them, a lot happens in this episode. I did, I was enjoying this episode. They they did do a lot of work to make the title work at the very end. But yeah, I was actually enjoying this episode. At the very end. So much so that about three quarters of the way through, I checked to make sure we were watching the right episode because the title Breadcrumbs fits so poorly with this episode that I was afraid we had accidentally skipped over it. Yeah. So as a reminder, over the past couple episodes or so, someone in Seattle has been murdering witches from the Coven of Eight who were this season's big bad, but I guess they're not now. They like never were. They really were never... It was set up, but they never really did anything. And, you know, the Coven of Eight should have been like that season where Maleficent and Ursula and Cruella teamed up. It should have been a cool crossover thing. But we never even really see who the Eight Witches are. Yeah, we got the Blind Witch from Hansel and Gretel. Uh, we got Ivy. We got Mother Gothel. Uh, let's see. I guess presumably Zelina is one based on what happens in this episode. Why do you say that? Because she gets the box of chocolates at the end of the episode, letting her know that she's the next victim of the candy killer. I assumed he was just after witches in general. I mean, maybe they've dropped the Coven of Eight thing altogether. That's definitely not outside of the realm of possibility. Hmm. So anyway, the candy killer turned out to be... Hansel. Hansel slash Jack slash Nick. Which would have been a really big reveal if we'd spent more than maybe 15 minutes with this character. Here's the thing. I kind of like Hansel's villain. I'm 
on board with it now that we get to see him in this episode. It just would have been great if he had been established throughout the season. It feels massively unearned. It really, really does. So the episode opens on a flashback. It opens with Henry and Hook, Nook, New Hook, Mm. and Jacinda going to fight a dragon, something Henry says he has wanted to do since he was 10 years old. And I have some things to say about that. Yeah, he talks about how slaying dragons is what his family does best. David did it. Emma did it, but not really. Well, they both slayed the same dragon, so I would say that neither of them were very good at it, considering that it's the same dragon. Well, David slayed that dragon uh, for King Midas, remember, in place of uh, James, who was too busy being dead. Oh, I forgot about that one. I was thinking about the time that he cut Maleficent's uh, egg out of her. No, he threw an egg into her. Right, right. The opposite of that. Yeah. Also, okay. Also, Jesus, what is it with this family and Maleficent? But Wait, no, this is an important point. Henry knows about Maleficent, which means he knows the dragons are humans. Mm. You can't just go slay humans. Who do you think you are, David? Who do you think you are, Faith? Actually, that would be badass. <laughs> I retract it. Also, not to not to get onto a completely different tack so early, but Buffy's on her high horse a lot considering how many of the Knights of Byzantium or whatever she killed at the end of season five. I believe you brought that up before, yes. She hit their horses with her RV. Those guys are dead. Not a leg to stand on, Buffy. Also, oh, Willow's going to be forever changed if she killed a human. <sighs> she killed Warren and Rack. They both deserved it. I mean, I guess Jonathan and Andrew, not so much. But I love how much her goalpost shifts over the course of those three episodes. She didn't kill Jonathan and Andrew. Well, I guess... She was trying to. Okay. Anyway, back in this show, they hear the dragon breathing, and they go deeper and deeper into the cave looking for him until they find a guy passed out drunk because he's... Because I guess the dragon is done plundering and it's moved on and left its horde behind because I guess that's what dragons do in Once Upon a Time. Okay, so I have a theory about this. Yes. Because we know dragons are also people. Uh Uh-huh. I think that this guy's just the dragon. I thought that too! I thought he was gonna, like, turn into the dragon. Okay, let's just... That... Let's just accept that. That guy is the dragon. So... Jacinda immediately hops on her high horse and she's like, you need to get out of here. None of this treasure's yours because the dragon has been stealing gold, jewels, and wine and the guy's just been having at it with the wine. Yeah, I think that guy is the dragon. I think you're right. Yeah. But he's like, "Eh, whatever, I can just go steal more stuff. Bye. Yeah, Jacinda's like, yeah, we're going to return all this stuff. So Yeah, good luck with that, Jacinda. How the fuck do you know where all that stuff is? Well, I assume the towns that have been being plundered are the ones who hired them to go kill the dragon. That's that's what happens in, like, D&D adventures. The town that has been plundered asks you to go slay the dragon. I just, the wealth distribution that would be involved in returning these goods, I can't imagine that's an easy process. Well, Jacinda will return it to the person who hired her, and then it's his job. So she's basically just going to give whoever a bunch of money and then have faith that that person won't just be like okay cool i'm king now yeah the rest of that's not her job and if the people that he's supposed to distribute it to don't like that then they can go hire jacinda to kill him 
That is how the D that that is how the fantasy adventuring economy works. It's deeply depressing. Actually, it's great for adventurers because she gets to keep presumably 10% as a finder's fee when she returns it to the guy who hired her. And then if the village decides that they don't like that and they hire her to kill him and take the treasure back a second time, she gets to take another 10%. Also, how how do they know that the village wasn't just like, hey, that dragon has a lot of money. Let's pretend he stole it from us. Well, or she that was dragons my can be women. point about Henry being like, yay, time to slay a dragon. And it's like, Henry, that's a human being. Yeah, Lily was a dragon. Oh, Lily. God, I miss Lily. I, you know, Max, I'm starting to think we're not going to get any closure on Lily in this show. <laughs> she shows up at the last episode and just kills everyone. You yes. dropped my plot. <laughs> yes. I didn't get any resolution. Did they not have the actress? It's so weird how thoroughly they dropped that plot. I mean, I think they just really decided no one cared. I mean, mistakenly, we care. And we're still talking about it after the show's been canceled, so clearly our opinions matter. I guess it's a uh, quantity over quality thing, right, when you're trying to write a show. You just want a lot of people watching. Oh, I thought you meant that we had a lot of opinions. Oh. (laughs) We do also have a lot of low-quality opinions. So, Henry... So while Jacinda is off figuring out what to do with the gold, Henry pouts to Hook that he's sad that this quest was so easy. Henry hops on a sad horse and he's like, all of my family and my girlfriend, they're all these famous fairy tale people. Like, yeah, who doesn't know the, you know, fairy tale about Emma? (laughs) Well, Henry wanted a magic ring to propose to Cinderella with because... His grandparents had a magic ring that would always lead them to their true love. And there was like a whole story behind it. And Was em- there? It was a ring his grandma owned. No, I, I, I mean, this- I know the story that launched Once Upon a Time. Yeah, that story. That's a story. Yeah. But like, Hook didn't have like a... Yeah, he did, because remember, all of his rings were from someone he had brutally murdered, except the one he proposed with, which was the one that his brother had given him. Oh, God, I forgot that. That's so creepy. <laughs> this is the one ring I have that doesn't belong to someone I brutally murdered. It, and every time I look at it and you, I'm going to think of my dead brother. <laughs> I mean, it does put a crimp in Henry's, like, I need a ring with a story thing, but that's where henry is henry decides he needs a ring that has a great story before he can propose because without it he's just henry you know just the guy who's omnipotent on two different fronts yeah just the guy who's both the author and has the heart of the truest believer and as you pointed out at the beginning of this episode just recently helped cinderella overthrow the monarchy so But Hook desperately wants his alternate stepson's approval, so he agrees to take him on a quest to find a meaningful ring. Jesus fucking Christ. God damn it, Henry. I I still like Henry, but Jesus Christ, dude. This is not a color that looks great on anyone. Whining. Oh, I know. It's true. It's funny, though. I was thinking about... I just found out last week that there's this thing on Reddit. There's this ring shaming subreddit oh my god where people post terrible rings and usually they're like from and usually they're from like wish or like other cheap websites claire's yeah but this person 
was snooping and found the ring that their boyfriend was going to propose with and hated it and posted it to the ring shaming website and was like, oh, look at the terrible ring my boyfriend's going to use to propose with. And I mean, it was diamonds, which I have issues with, but it wasn't bad. It was a totally typical looking ring. Mm. It wasn't like that story from, I want to say like about six months ago where the girl was on a similar post and I think it was a relationship advice post and she was like my boyfriend just proposed with literally the ugliest ring i've ever seen in my life and i don't know what to say to him and i can't wear this ring every day and please tell me like the nice way to say something about it and you read that post and you're like oh come on and then there was a picture of the ring and legit it was the ugliest (laughs) ring it was a giant amber heart it's like something you would buy at claire's i thought you were talking about because these both sounded familiar, but there was a post going around about this uh, girl whose boyfriend proposed to her with a ring he made for her. And, like, he was upset because she had it melted down and sold and sold the material and then bought a ring that she liked. Okay, that's not cool. Yeah. So, there are just a lot of these stories floating around, huh? I guess it's really easy to pull out, like, the wrong ring when you propose. Yeah, that is kind of a ring pop looking ring. She just has to wear it for the length of the engagement, though, right? No, you're really supposed to wear your engagement rings all the time. That's why you have, like, you have an engagement ring and then you have a band and you wear them together on the same finger. Oh. That's not what we did, but that's what most people do. My sister actually has, like, her wedding ring is a set where the engagement ring and the band, like, interlock. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, it's cute. But, I mean, I know... But my brother-in-law has taste in jewelry. (laughs) I know it's, uh, I guess, less romantic to not spring a proposal on someone, but really you should talk about the engagement ring before an engagement happens. Also, I think there's something to be said. I mean, yes, of course. If you don't know if the person's going to say yes, then to steal something I saw on Reddit about season four of Veronica Mars, you've just picked a really expensive way to say, please hurt my feelings. <laughs> but, you know, it's fairly normal to buy the engagement ring and without your proposee's knowledge Mm. and have that piece of it be a surprise and I think there is something to be said for if the person being proposed to really really hates the ring maybe you don't know each other well enough to get married yeah also like if you're gonna propose to someone like you can subtly find out what kind of rings they like Yeah, I mean, there's a long tradition of asking the best friend to help you pick out the ring. Or hell, you can be like, hey, look, this is the ring my co-worker is planning on using to propose to his girlfriend. And if your girlfriend's like, oh, gross, then you can be like, maybe I won't propose with this ring. Exactly. Although famously on the Second City plotline where Aiden proposed and Carrie hated the ring so much that it made her vomit when she saw it. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) But how bad was that ring? The ring actually wasn't bad. Actually, that was what I was going to say. Miranda helped her. Miranda actually had helped Aiden pick out the ring. It's just that Carrie didn't really love him. She thought she did. There are some people who think Carrie should have ended up with Aiden. There's actually like a huge contingent of people who think Carrie should have ended up with Aiden. And they are all wrong. He was not good for her. Should she have ended up with Big? Yeah, they're fine. They're both, they're both, (laughs) that's a ringing endorsement. They're both shallow in the same way. So it works out really well, you know, (sighs) once upon a time. So back in 
Hyperion Heights, Henry goes into Ronnie's bar looking for Ronnie, and instead he finds Margot behind the bar. Margot, of course, being Robin, Robin Hood. Hood. And Robin Hood Jr. Yes. Oh my God. Why haven't we been calling her Robin Hood Jr.? Okay. Uh, that's yes. Robin Hood Jr. Robin Hood Jr. tells Henry that Ronnie is not around, but when he says that he's Henry Mills, she's like, oh my God, I love your podcast. So is she trying to sleep with him now? No, no. Actually, do you know what I think? And it's kind of gross. What? I think that she suspects because of how much Ronnie talks about him that Ronnie is trying to sleep with him. Yeah, I can see that. But So I think she's just trying to get to know him so that she can understand what's going on with Ronnie. Yeah. Because I don't think in this universe Ronnie and Zelina, Ronnie and Kelly are supposed to be sisters no they're just two friends who are as close as sisters yeah what a weird distinction for the curse to make yeah yeah and it's weird that the curse kept Margot as kelly's daughter yeah the idea that the curse is random is undercut by the fact that the curse seems to pick the most emotionally important relationships to like metaphorically recreate yeah and not consistently either, which I guess does sort of lend credence to it just being random. Did you see that thing with the random number generator that just said uh, four over and over and over again? No. And so I forget the context of it, but there's a random number generator that just keeps on saying four. And this guy's like, is it random or is it just saying four? And another guy's like, that's the thing. You can't tell because it could be randomly just selecting four over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you flip a coin, there's a 50-50 chance that it'll come up heads every single time. Yeah. So you could just get it heads a thousand times. Anyway, uh, this episode has some weird ideas about podcasting, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it does. We'll get into that. So since Ronnie's not there, Henry is going to leave, but then he sees Nick sitting over in the corner by himself. Nick is the least subtle person on the face of the planet. I hate how Nick seemed like a cool guy until last episode, and now that we know that he's the killer, the actor is, like, giving him a real serial killer vibe? Well, it's not helped by the dialogue. We didn't mention on the previously ons, they included the bit where uh, he tells Hook, Hey, maybe the murderer's right under your nose. Wah, 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 wah. And in this, he's like, He's, he's so clearly talking about not getting to murder Ivy. He's like, I was after an important client, but somehow they escaped my clutches. And Henry's like, ah, well, there are more clients in the scene. He's like, yes, more clients to hook and then bludgeon to death in the bottom of my boat. Because fishing metaphors make it less obvious I'm talking about murder. Yeah, it's super creepy. But then Henry gets a phone call about the podcast. Honestly, I would kind of like, they did, They don't end up doing this, but I would have liked if this was all a red herring and he's just a guy who talks like a serial killer for no reason. Oh, that would have been amazing. But it's not. No. Probably. They could still, <laughs> that would, I would really enjoy that twist. Well, I mean, he's still a kidnapper at the very least based on what we've seen. Who in the show hasn't kidnapped somebody? Good point. Although, honestly, who on the show hasn't murdered someone? Yeah, right? Speaking of... In the parking garage, Hook and Weaver are looking 
for clues. The parking garage where Ivy was almost bludgeoned to death by Hansel slash Jack slash Nick. Weaver tells Hook that there hasn't been, like, any physical evidence at any of the scenes. No hairs, no footprints, no fingerprints. This all seems highly unlikely. Yeah, we saw Nick trying to kill uh, Ivy and... He wasn't exactly the most subtle guy on the face of the planet. Right? Like, I guess he was wearing a baby mask, so all the hair would have fallen into the baby no, mask. No, no. There's no... Whatever. Anyway, Rumple sees something that, by the way, we're going to find out... I'm just going to say what it is because we're having this discussion right now, even though the show doesn't show us what it is until next scene. Mm-hmm. So, this guy has failed to leave fingerprints, hair footprints a speck of blood anything at any scene nothing underneath the fingernails of his victims ivy literally stabbed him with a stiletto and yet somehow there was no dna evidence on that stiletto but what he did accidentally leave behind is his heavily annotated copy of henry's once upon a time novel jesus christ was he holding that when he attacked ivy right like, I get, I, here's the thing. I like where they go with this. I like where they go with the book, but we should have seen him dropping it last week. So. It's so clear that they just got back on track with this episode and it's like, yay, we're back on track, but you're looking behind you and you're like, there is no track behind us. Isn't that a little weird? I also like how Hook well, uh, while Rumple is, you know, examining the crime scene for evidence, Hook is just like, blah, blah, blah about his daughter who's living with him now. Like, ooh, Tilly's eating me out of house and home, so I, you know. Made her get a job. And Weaver's like, Mur- murder investigation. Murder investigation. I mean, to be fair, it's their day job, so I'm sure there is a lot of eh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Also, I guess it's an attempted murder investigation, so. Well, I mean, he is a serial killer, so. Yeah. Yeah. Also... Just putting this out in the universe, Ivy mysteriously disappeared after esca- after uh, surviving a murder attempt. Oh, yeah. Along with her sister, who, by the way, may or may not be known to unawake people in this town. Like, I'm pretty sure Hook found out about her sister right before they both disappeared forever. It's just, uh, uh. Back at Ronnie's bar, Kelly and Lucy are in the back room, and Kelly is brewing a potion and telling Lucy about it. And Lucy's like, wow, it just looks like vegetable stock. And Kelly's like, yeah, until we put the magic in it, it basically is just vegetable stock. She also lets us know that Ronnie is off gathering some special magical moss, because I don't know what's going on with Lana Perea this week, but I guess they didn't have her. Mm. Yeah, it's weird. She's just straight up not here. Also, Kelly weirdly drops this like it's a thing we already know. Like, until Ronnie gets back with that magical moss, it's just vegetable stock. And so it really feels like there was some emergency that meant Lana Priya couldn't film. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel like there was a cutscene or so. That also helped with our thing where we were like, did we skip an episode? Yeah, it was very weird. So... Kelly is not the most subtle person on the face of the planet because Lucy's like, what happens if we don't get the moss? And then she's like, well, either your dad stays cursed forever or he dies. And Lucy's like, Jesus Christ, I'm just a kid. And Kelly's like, sorry, I forgot. I'm terrible at talking to kids. As you can tell by my relationship with Margot, 
who came because I left her 17,000 messages about a major emergency she needed to return, you know, to town to deal with and then refused to tell her what the emergency was. Oh my god, I just, I feel like I had a neon sign above my head this entire episode that was just flashing, just tell them! Like, just tell her what's going on. There's enough of you awake that that she's not going to think this is one crazy idea from one person. I mean, and... I know she's not here this week for whatever reason, but Regina has magic again, right? That was the whole point of the last episode. Yeah, she got magic from Dr. Facilier. So, like, she could just... Do magic? Yeah, like, I don't believe you. Fireball. Like, just in her hand, not fireballing, like, Margot's face off or anything. Yeah. But but no, no, we have to draw out the drama for several more episodes, so here we are. Mm. So... Henry runs over to Jacinda's apartment to tell him about the fact to, to tell her about the fact that a podcasting network wants to hire him to as a producer as a producer, which apparently oh, yeah apparently you have a podcast that's relatively successful for four weeks and then you start getting calls from other people to move out to New York and produce their podcasts. Hmm. Mm. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is isn't this sort of well, for me anyway, it calls to mind that uh, JD from Scrubs show. Oh, right. Um, I don't even remember what it was called, but it was about an actual guy who runs a podcast network, except that their podcast recording studio was a giant open plan, high ceilinged office. It's like they've heard of podcasts, but they don't know what podcasts are. So they're just like, um, we'll just have him be a producer of podcasts, which is a separate thing. And yes, Henry is producing his own podcast, but you don't know that that means he's going to be able to produce on a professional level. I mean, presumably, uh, no. I guess I was thinking more editing, like he's shown his proficiency just by doing this all by himself. He hasn't really, though, because you don't know what his raw files sound like. Hmm. To really know if someone's a good editor, you need to hear what the raw file sounds like and then hear what the edited show sounds like. Because if the editor is good... You shouldn't know that there was even an editor. It should just sound like two people naturally had a conversation with no awkwardness or being like, wait, hold on, I'm going to do that again. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this is just a this is just a plot contrivance to get Henry to New York. Henry tells Jacinda that he's going to take off and go to New York and produce other people's podcasts. And Jacinda's like, well, can't you do H-Town in your spare time like every other person who does a podcast? And he's like, well, no, because I won't live here in Hyperion Heights, so I won't have any H-Town stories. And she's all like, oh, so you don't love Hyperion Heights. And he's like, I mean, I love Hyperion Heights, but Hyperion Heights' daughter told me that I shouldn't kiss Hyperion Heights, so... I guess I'm going to go to New York and find some other podcast to kiss. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we're, 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 we're not exactly dealing with the most subtle metaphor on the face of the planet here. Hey, it's episode 16. We have to get to the end. Yeah, we're like, what, six episodes from the end? Yeah, yeah. I feel you, Doug. It's too much for her. So Henry sadly walks out of the apartment as Jacinda watches. They do this like sad hand-holding thing at the door first. It's not like a handshake. No, he just like takes her hand and then it teases us like he's going to kiss her and the plot's going to get moving. But no, he just leaves. He goes back to his place to start packing up 
And while he's there, he finds that piece of glass that you'll remember so many episodes ago, Lucy was convinced was a piece of Cinderella's slipper. Remember she jumped into the hole in that construction site back when Victoria was alive and the main villain in the show? Oh my god, remember when Victoria was the main villain? Anyway, Rumple shows up at Henry's door and is like, hey, now we're doing the beginning of Castle for some reason. There's a serial killer and he's killing based on your book. Rumpel's like, I assume you've heard of the candy killer. And Henry's like, yeah, Hook told me all about it during our bro time, which seems like not the best thing for a detective working on an open murder case to be doing, especially because he was actually hanging out with the murderer. Yeah, no, it's a bad idea. It definitely is. Although I, I'm distracted by what a bad cop Hook was being by how this is the beginning of as i said the series castle and now i'm just imagining like rumple as kate beckett oh god <laughs> henry is nathan fillion so just incest right off the bat oh god i wasn't even thinking about how he's his grandfather didn't the actress who played uh beckett was it Beckett? Yeah, it was Beckett. Yeah, she and Nathan Fillion did not get along. Yeah, I remember, like, they hook up in the last couple of seasons or so, right? Yeah, and it's it's, like... it's a long will-they-won't-they they until the last season. And then it was, like, a Shannon Doherty and Luke Perry thing where they fucking hated each other. And I didn't know Shannon Doherty and Luke Perry hated each other. I mean, any more than everyone who works with Shannon Doherty apparently hates Shannon Doherty. Yeah, he used to apparently eat, like, garlic and sardine sandwiches before they had to do kissing stuff. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Well, back in the flashback. Which makes it kind of weird that she's doing a tribute thing to him on uh, Riverdale. Is that weird, or is that exactly how you react when somebody who you were supposed to be close to who didn't really like you dies? I guess, yeah. Back in the flashback, Hook and Henry go into a bar called Fishbird. I mean, I think that's what it's called. It's possibly fish and bird. Yeah, it's probably fish and bird. Although, I don't know. That is not an ampersand in between those two words. Yep. Fishbird. Fishbird. And there's like a continuous bar fight happening in this bar. Like, different groups of people are just wailing on each other. And Henry's like, so I just beat someone up and take a ring? And Hook's like, no, no, no. We're having an adventure. Don't you know all medieval adventures start in a tavern? So, God, this subplot is dumb. Oh my God, it's so, and it's so much worse than you know until you get to it. Yeah, so it turns out that Hook has a map that leads to Davy Jones's locker, which has a bunch of, you know, super special adventure jewels, which are so much better than just buying a fucking ring somewhere else. Yeah, Davy Jones's locker is a chest actually filled with treasure as opposed to just a piratey way of saying the ocean. Hmm. But Hook can't just take control of the ship back from Smee because, you see, Blackbeard has taken the ship. I mean, are we surprised? I know the twist that ends up happening with this later, but, like, Smee did not seem like the person it would be best to give the ship to. Well, I mean, Hook just really didn't care at that point. He was done with ships. But also, even with the twist at the end... The fact that Blackbeard stole the ship from Smee is still what happened. That part doesn't get undone by the twist. Ugh. So, Blackbeard is recruiting pirates to go on his new pirate journey. Like you do. 
And Henry's like, I don't know if I want to join a pirate crew. And Hook's like, oh, don't worry. The pirate crew does not want you. Which, he's able-bodied enough. Yeah, I guess. Like, but, I mean, are they really spoiled for choice when it comes to recruiting? I mean, there's a lot of people in this tavern who seem really excited about becoming pirates, so. Mm. But Hook's going to sneak them aboard the ship so that they can dot 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 profit. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what's going to happen. Back in Hyperion Heights, Hook is taking Tilly to the new job he got for her. That he didn't tell her what it was ahead of time. Yeah, he's like, I got you a job, I'm going to take you there, but no time for you to mentally prepare because I'm not going to tell you what it is till we get there. And it's luckily the Roland Bayou food truck that Sabine runs, so that's okay. Tilly's really excited because she likes eating beignets, so clearly liking eating beignets will translate into being able to cook delicious beignets. Oh, it reminds me so much of, you saw that comic that was going around the internet a while back about following your passions, right? No, I don't think I did. It was, I'm sure it came from a good place, but it was deeply asinine. It was talking about how, like, you know, don't just stick with the job you hate. Find your passion and make that your job instead. You like knitting? Open a yarn store. And it's like, you know, those are two completely different skill sets, right? Also, way to, like, make something that you love something you're gonna hate. Yeah, like, if you, what is it, jobify your passion, then you're never not working. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Back at Ronnie's bar, speaking of jobifying your passion, in mm. this case, her passion for drinking. <laughs> Kelly is being a real dick to her daughter for no reason. I feel Margo was being unnecessarily aggro. Margo's like, okay, so I've been here for a week and now you need to tell me why you told me to come back or else I'm going to throw a fit. And Kelly's like, I can't really tell you. And she's like, well, then fuck you. I, I mean, to be fair, like she got 36 messages about how she needs to come home now. Something horrible is happening. Ah! And then she comes home and her mom's like, work at this bar. Shut up. Also, I called off my wedding and left my hometown for unknown reasons. Yeah. I'm running a bar again with a woman that I stopped talking to several years ago. Like, honestly, I'm kind of on Margot's side here. Because she's like, you need to, like, I don't know what you want from me. I can't just stop my life and come running every time you say that there's an emergency when there's apparently not an emergency. And Kelly's like, there is an emergency. But I can't tell you what it is, so shut up. And Margo's like, fuck you, and storms out of the bar. So, you know, it's good times all around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I said earlier, Kelly just needs to tell Margo what's up. Uh, whatever. There's no good reason not to. She's been backpacking through Tibet for, like, the last couple of years. I feel like she's receptive to hearing this story. Yeah. Meanwhile, Rumpel is going to have Henry sit down and study the wild notations in the margins of his book and try to figure out what the serial killer is thinking. So he takes him into the evidence room so that he can have a quiet place to sit and stare at the book until he figures out what's going on. And incidentally, in the evidence room, the camera pans past bagged evidence that is Geppetto's mother. God. You'd think that the kid would be more wary of puppets. I know this is back to season one, but you think he would be more wary of puppets given what happened to his parents? Yeah, right? 
Well, whatever. Or or did he just take it in a weird psychological direction? Well, if my family is puppets and I want more family... I need to make more puppets. Yeah. And I mean, he wasn't wrong. True. It doesn't seem healthy, but I guess it worked out. I mean, did it? It gave us August, but... Oh. So, Henry's like, um, I'm really into helping you catch a serial killer, but also I have a plane to catch, like, right now. And Weaver's like, well, I'm a cop, so just sit here until I tell you you're allowed to leave. So Henry flips open the book. I'm sorry, I just want to see some of the notations, because we have a, like, that's this is our first time we get a really good look at the book. Roses equals poison. The flower in the garden. Where did the money go? <laughs> oh my god! I... <laughs> so... I paused the screen when Henry opens the book so that I could study some of the some of the notations he's written. He wrote roses equal poison quite a lot. Uh, she wasn't she wasn't a drinker and read a book. <sighs> Not a friend. Didn't she cheat her brother? And also uh, boxed up and like really big is don't think about it this much. Wow, way to take a shot at us, uh, writers of Once Upon a Time. Also, just, she assured him that he was the real deal, which is hilariously anachronistic thing to write. <laughs> Read a book, not a friend. No, no, those are two. Those are those are two different ones. She wasn't a drinker and read a book. Hmm. Didn't she cheat her brother, not a friend? Encouraged his father to join him because it was... Something, something confident deal. No, no, no. See, it, it was uh, encouraged his father to join him as it was a package deal. And then overly confident is a separate thing. Hmm. If you're reading this, then you're a loser. <laughs> Isn't that the thing from The Simpsons? Um, I don't know if that's the thing from The Simpsons. There is... Anyone who's reading this has no life. That's the thing from The Simpsons. When you pause on the uh, screen where they're for the Godfrey Jones apology show. Oh, in the... Uh, that's funny. In BoJack Horseman, there's a scene where a character is folding a bunch of t-shirts really quickly. And if you pause it, one of the t-shirts says, stop pausing and watch the show. <laughs> and in an episode of Red Dwarf, there's a character who... There's an episode where they go to a world where everyone speaks backwards and they just play the tape backwards for everything. And there's a scene where our main character is getting yelled at. And if you play the yelling backwards, it says, yes, I'm yelling at you. Not not you that I'm pointing at, but you, the wanker who thought that you could play this backwards and figure out what I'm saying. Uh. So I guess what I'm saying is there's a long tradition of people being like, stop pausing and watch the show like they don't even know us so speaking of season one which we were briefly uh perpetually it seems like yeah especially this season which is which is fair final seasons of shows should make you think about the first season a lot well it's like how the last episode of uh season seven of charmed had all of those references to the first episode of charmed or how the last episode of season three of Arrested Development, which was supposed to be the end, is almost a mirror image of the first episode. Yeah, and then they kept going. So when they do more references later, 
at a new end it just feels weird and redundant i just i really really i'm not sure how to get it onto paper but i really want to talk about the last season of arrested development it's it's dark weird well it's because it's like an anti-comedy sort of thing like it is just a show that's designed to make you feel viscerally uncomfortable yeah exactly oh i'm sorry though you were speaking of season one uh, yes, we get a transition from the book, which it feels like a really long time. Like there, he flips the book open to a picture of a boat, and then the boat becomes real. Yeah, that's true. He Henry's looking at the picture of the boat, and then we're on the ship with Henry and Hook. We also got that earlier in this season with Hook looking at a picture of Emma. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of season one stuff. Yeah. So Henry and Hook are on the boat. Apparently they snuck in in pork barrels and Henry is really worried about how much he smells like pork. And Hook smells him and he's like, hopefully they won't smell you coming. I'm like, don't don't smell your alternate reality stepson. It's weird. It is weird. So they go to uh... a random guy who's working on the rigging. And Henry pulls a sword on him and is like, turn around. And he turns around and it's Smee. And Smee's like, oh my god, Captain Hook! And then he pulls his hat out of his pocket and puts it on. Which is the weirdest moment because if he'd been wearing the hat, we'd have known who he was. But they don't want to explain him not having the hat. So I guess he just headed off for that exact second. (laughs) And apparently Hook told Henry that once the crew found out that he was there, they would all switch loyalty to him. And Smee's like, oh, no. But then Hook's like, no, no, no. When they find out I have a treasure map, they'll switch to me. And then Blackbeard comes up with all his men and is like, um, you mean I have a treasure map? Yoink. And God, there's a lot about how much Henry smells here. It's really weird. Blackbeard's like, oh, we're going to find the treasure. And then you and your foul smelling friend here will both die. And it's like, Hook was also in the pork barrels. Didn't he also smell like pork? No, I think Henry was in a pork barrel and Hook was in like a grain Grain, barrel. uh, Yeah. Hook says that he can't kill Henry because Henry's a prince and that would be bad. And Davy Jones is like, okay. Wait, no, just kidding. I'm going to kill him because I don't care because I'm a pirate. God, Pirate! I was going to say, you'd think he would have learned his lesson after the whole Elsa and Anna thing, but then again, that was non-wish versus Blackbeard, so... Yeah, that was a totally different person learning a totally different lesson. Because presumably Elsa just murdered the shit out of Blackbeard when she came back to Arendelle. Yeah, yeah. Like, I know that he was fleeing... Actually, the last we saw him, he was trapped on Neverland because he was fleeing from Elsa... I'm not sure what would have happened to him in Neverland. I'm sure it wasn't good, though. Remember, he stole that rowboat from Hook and left Hook on the island with uh, Tiger Lily, and he's like, good luck with that, Captain. I'm rowing off. And it's like, I thought people couldn't escape Neverland without Peter Pan's permission, but then again, he's dead. But where is he going in a rowboat? Yeah, now that Peter Pan's dead, you can escape, but you can't get anywhere. I assume he's just camped out on, like, Skull Island now. Mm. Yeah. Until he inevitably gets murdered by teenagers. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Probably should have just let Elsa kill you. Would have been but, faster. Yeah, right? Back in Hyperion Heights, Tilly is trying to make beignets. And she makes one and she's like, oh, it looks like a heart. Okay, here's the thing about that beignet. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look anything like a heart. I think it's supposed to look like an actual heart. Yeah, later on in the episode, 
Robin Hood Jr. is going to be like, oh, it's like a real heart, like not a cartoon heart, but what an actual heart in a human body looks like. But it's not shaped like that either. It's just a malformed beignet, but whatever. Also, I feel like it's kind of insulting that Hook's like, give her a job cooking in your cooking truck. Like... Yeah, you can't just pick up and start making beignets. But, uh, which... Which Sabine is quickly realizing, because she's like, hey, how about instead of uh, cooking the beignets, you go out and sell them. Go bring in customers. And Tilly is excited about that because she likes talking to people. She's a people person. So that's good. It's true. It, And plus, if you do it with food, people are less likely to freak out at you. People she, like food. Yeah. She's not really uh, selling, though. She's handing out free samples. That's selling? Yeah, I guess. I mean, honestly, if I had a little beignet i'd be like oh cool i would not immediately be like i want to buy a big beignet well one beignet is the appropriate amount of beignets so yeah Yeah. jacinda comes into the food cart as tilly is leaving so that she can tell sabine all of her troubles about henry by the way um let's talk about her outfit i really like the hat she's wearing she's wearing a sailor's hat she's wearing a sailor's hat and uh she was wearing it earlier but uh, it's the same sort of white cable knit sweater we saw Prince Eric wearing. And then she's got kind of a big jacket on. She looks really nautical. Yeah. Very on theme. Good for you, Jacinda. So, speaking of Henry, uh, Henry is flipping through the book and he's like, you know what? Uh, Lucy lost faith in this book and I lost faith in it too. I wanted to write these stories to give people hope, but now some, you know crazy dude is using them as an excuse to stab people yeah henry's like i wanted people to have hope not murder thoughts apparently there's a lot of stuff about how fairy tales are the root cause of hope in this show not specifically this season but that's not really true no fairy tales are horrifying stories that are supposed to both educate and put children to sleep that is what fairy tales are like i guess hope is really more of the disney model of fairy tales so i guess that makes sense i don't know well i mean they're mostly about upward social mobility right yeah that's true henry says he's gonna leave and go to new york and rumple's like well the henry mills in the book wouldn't give up i thought the henry mills in the book was a better person than you're being so maybe you should stay and be a better henry mills and henry's like yeah everyone loves an optimistic little kid which given how much we hated henry in the early part of the podcast it's like although we turned a corner on him while he was still, you know. An optimistic little kid. Yeah. I mean, it's not the optimistic thing we liked. It was the proactive thing. Yes, that's true. Although I guess he was pretty proactive in the early seasons and we still were like very, very mean to him. Yeah. Well, Henry says, oh, wait, I wrote a self-insert for myself. Maybe the killer is, what's the opposite of a self-insert? Like a self-extraction? Where he's deciding that one of the characters is him. He's over-relating. Yeah, so Henry's like, I just need to figure out which character he thinks he is, and then we'll know what's going on. And Rumple is very excited about this. And since Rumple is awake, I assume his plan the whole time was for Henry to do this, so that then he would say who he was, so that then he would say who the killer was, and Rumple would know who that person's Hyperion Heights identity is, because Rumple's Rump- awake. Yep. It's actually a pretty good plan. Good job, Rumple. I Okay, this is something I want to point out because I don't think it makes particularly a ton of sense. But, I mean, it, it makes sense, but 
the Hansel in Henry's book wouldn't be Jack. There, yes, that's true. But that makes, that works with what happens in the rest of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, from Rumpel's point of view, I want to put this out there. It could legitimately just be some dude who's using this as a, I know it's not because this is a narrative and Once Upon a Time does in-universe run by narrative rules, but it could be just a guy who picked up the book and decided to start killing people. No, no, because Rumpel knows that it's a narrative as well. Yeah. Yeah. Back on the pirate ship, I guess because so much is happening in this episode, we just decided that we're going to skip over everything else that happens and cut right to the pirates pulling up Davy Jones's treasure. Yep. And is his Henry Henry is a prince, I guess, technically, right? Yeah, Henry's a prince. It feels weird that they're calling him Prince Henry. Like, I know he's a prince, but like he's also kind of a god on a couple levels, and it feels like that's kind of condescending. Oh, you think Prince is a downgrade? That's funny. So Blackbeard opens up the chest and is like, look at all of this treasure, and especially look at this super gaudy ring, the star sapphire of Davy Jones. And at first I was really annoyed because people say star sapphire when they just mean a large sapphire, even though star sapphire is a completely separate type of stone. Mm -hmm. But zooming in on it, it is in fact a star sapphire. It's just so surrounded by other gaudy stones that you can hardly see the star sapphire of it. Which is a crime, because star sapphires are super pretty. So, this looks like a super ugly ring to propose to uh, to propose to Jacinda with. Oh I my god, I would say no to that. I would not be surprised if that ended up on the ugly ring Reddit. Yeah. So, Blackbeard is talking about how all of this treasure is worthy of being Blackbeard's treasure, because he's the bestest pirate ever. But especially this ring! This whole thing has a real dinner theater staging feel to it. And speak of the devil. Well, Hook realizes that there's a nail sticking out of the post that they're tied to. So he quickly cuts his bonds, Henry's bonds, and Smee's bonds. And the three of them pull out knives and start fighting with the pirates. And it is very, as you say, theatrical. It's very Pirates of Penzance. Yeah. Part of it's like hooks like i made sure that they tied us up here because i know this ship better than anyone because blah 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 this is my ship i'm the pirate blah 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 and i'm using my knowledge of the ship against blackbeard much like i did in one of our previous fights and much like henry did when henry knocked his ass out back in the Wishverse initially during yeah yeah or i guess was it the Wishverse? no it was the alternate reality the other author created oh god this show. There's too many realities. Also, you know what Henry did in that episode? What did Henry do in that episode? He took out a dragon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Huh. Well, maybe he forgot. A lot of stuff has happened since then. Yeah, exactly. A lot of stuff has happened since then. <laughs> Henry gets his dagger up to Blackbeard's throat and is like, Hey, every other pirate, stand down. I have Blackbeard. And Blackbeard's like, Ha ha, you won fair and square. Take this ring and go propose to your girlfriend. Your girlfriend, Ella. Ella Frell. And all of the other pirates are like, yay, we are all clapping for you. And Henry's like, wait, wait. What? Also, he notices that his blade is dull. And he's like, is this just a game to you all? And they're like, we just want to make you feel good. Yeah, and Blackbeard immediately, he's like, yeah. 
he paid us to do this. We're just going to split the treasure three ways and go home. And Henry's like, Jesus fucking Christ, dude. I'm in my mid-twenties. Really? And Hook's like, I was just trying to be a good alternate reality stepdad. Henry's like, Jesus fucking Christ. Henry's like, you're not my real stepdad. He does. He does tell him that he's never going to be as good as the real Hook, which, oof, that hurts. Yeah, that's a really low bar. You're never going to be good. You're never going to be as good as Arby's. Wow, damn. Anyway, a storm comes up. A storm comes upon them quickly. And Hook's like, I guess we should, you know. Hoisin the mizzen mast. Yeah, that thing. And Hook's like, do you know how to sail? And Henry's like, yeah, alternate you taught me. Because you were too busy not existing in my reality. (laughs) God. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. This plot is so stupid. It really, really is. Back in the... uh, Back in the evidence room, Henry is poring over the book, and Hook walks in, and and Hook walks in so that Henry can give the news to Hook and Rumple simultaneously, which is that he has figured out who the killer is. Yes, because <laughs> what? Oh, I'm just, I was just looking at I was just looking at some more of the didn't happen. <laughs> So Henry's, uh, so Henry pulls up the Hansel and Gretel chapter. Yeah, see, it turns out that in other chapters, Hansel has made notes indicating that he's learning things about the characters. Whereas in the Hansel and Gretel chapter, he is angrily correcting the text. Also, okay, so how does Hansel and Gretel, I guess it would just be the episode, uh, episode 10 of season one for us. Yes. Uh, Heavy Gretels. Yes. What was, what, that's what we called it. What did they call it? I don't know. But if you do want to listen to early episodes of our podcast, I know they're not on iTunes for some reason, but you can still find them through our website. That is accurate. Just a heads up. But, uh, I guess it's just... So every episode is a chapter in this book, I guess, is how this would break down. Sure, I guess. I don't know. Because I wouldn't think that there would be enough material in that episode to, you know, fill a whole chapter, but maybe they're short. That one was probably a short chapter, which makes sense because the book's not that thick. It's not thick enough for each episode of this show to have been a, you know, good thick chapter. Anyway, in the Hansel and Gretel story he's made much he's made notations that are correcting the story which makes sense because henry's story was an alternate universe hansel and gretel not the same hansel and gretel also he made the notation ovens make the deepest burns which henry rightly points out is serial killer talk Mm. so he also he underlines the thing he's like what happened to gretel and he underlines twins yeah so I feel like there's something going on there. It seems weird that he would underline twins. Well, in Henry's story, Hansel and Gretel are twins. In this one, they are not twins. Hmm. Um, I know that you want to believe that Jack and Hansel are not the same person. That, That Nick is not Jack. That Jack and Hansel are twins. It just seems weird that they bring emphasis to twins like the way that they did yeah i guess that is a little unusual i pro 
as I have discovered many, many, many times throughout the course of talking about this show, I think I'm probably just reading too much into a very minor detail. I mean, maybe, maybe it will pay off. Maybe this show will finally pay off. So. They're looking for, they decide, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to look for people in this neighborhood who have burn marks and are twins. Well, and have a twin sister. Yeah. Mm. And that's, that's a good place to start narrowing it down. And Weaver's like, all right, go catch a flight now. And Henry's like, oh yes, my flight. Honestly, this reminds me of nothing more than that one scene in the Veronica Mars movie where her high-paying law job is like, hey, if you want to still have a high-paying law job, you need to come back to New York or wherever. And she's like, nah, Neptune shit. Yeah, basically. And Weaver even pushes him in that direction. He's like, hey, you are Henry Mills, and Henry Mills always chooses the right path, so I'm sure you'll choose the right path. You know, that character in that book that you wrote, Yeah, that character in that book you wrote sure was smart. (laughs) So, uh, meanwhile, Tilly is doing a really good job getting people to buy beignets. As we can tell by the fact that she hands a woman a free sample, the woman eats it, smiles, nods, and then immediately jogs over to the beignet truck. Well, she's probably on her way there anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Tilly, after she's done handing out beignets, sees Robin Hood Jr. sitting on a nearby bench. By the way, I really like the glasses look for her. Yeah, she she looks really good in her big round glasses. Also, I like her plaid coat. So, yeah. yeah. She's got a, I, I describe it as Annie Hall-esque thing going on. Yeah, it's like, it's like calling back to Annie Hall. Without being like Annie Hall outfits. Yes. Tilly is like, oh, hey, Robin Hood Jr. And Robin Hood Jr. is like, oh, hey, the girl that I kept from getting smeared by a car. And then Tilly is like, oh. You remember me! Because remember, that was Tilly's whole thing last week, that nobody saw her or remembered her? Yeah. Or two weeks ago, or whenever that was. God, that episode. And Robin Hood Jr. is like, yeah, I remember people when I keep them from getting hit by cars. Anyway, they have their little discussion. I feel like there should have been more chemistry between them. I really, really do. Yeah, they're not without chemistry, but, like... The scene is so awkward because we're, like, catching them both up so quickly. Um, The last time Robin Hood Jr. saw Tilly, she was almost hit by a car, and then she was like, all right, gonna run away from home now. And so that was a weird moment. Now she's like, yeah, I didn't run away from home. Tell me about your problems with your mother. It's, It's weird. And also, I was really sure Alice was awake, but I guess she's not because she does not know who Tilly is. Well, we knew that we know that the pills make her not awake, so I think she was awake when she went off them, and now she's presumably still on them, so... Uh... That is really weird. Anyway, Tilly's like, here, have my last beignet. It's shaped like a heart. And Margot is like, oh, you mean like an anatomical heart. You're so cute and clever. Let's be girlfriends. Also, I really like her uh, earrings. They're like these, like, blacks, these giant black square things. Yeah. Her whole look is really good. Yeah. You know what kind of chemistry they have? They have Hallmark Christmas movie chemistry. Yes, this is the chemistry that people have in Hallmark Christmas movies. That is accurate. Robin Hood Jr. tells Tilly the issues with her mother. And Tilly's like, huh, well, I feel really bad for your mother because you're a really cool person and it would be really hard to feel like I couldn't tell you something. And Margot's like, wow, you gave me a different way of looking at my mother. All right, then. Yeah, I'm so not buying this like 
Wow, it must suck for your mom that you're such an awful person that she feels like she can't be open and honest with you. No, she said that you're... That's not what she said. Yeah, but, like, what she said didn't make any sense. You're such a great person, so it sucks your mom can't talk to you? No, it's like you're such a great person and your mom must have a really good reason to not be able to tell you and it must be tearing her up inside. Uh, that's, uh, that's a stretch. But it's true! She doesn't have a good reason to not tell her, though. Well, your mileage may vary. Mm. Back on the street, Henry is looking at his little phone ticket and also realizing that he does not have any voicemails. So even though Jacinda looks sad when he left, she wasn't sad enough to call him and beg him to come back. So he gets in his car, his like way overstuffed car. He's going to put all of that on a plane. It seems unlikely. Well, whatever. Maybe he, oh wait, it's like, maybe he's going to drive to New York, but he's not because he's going to a plane. I don't know. He pulls up the phone and he thinks about calling Jacinda and then doesn't because whatever. Then the film, then the show does that thing where it's daytime, but then the scene changes and it's nighttime and they hope we don't notice. Yeah, like. But we're here to notice. Yes. So Henry definitely missed his flight then. I mean, it's, I would be. I would be really anxious for him because, yeah, he's clearly missed his flight if he was trying to leave in the middle of the day and now it's the middle of the night, but whatever, I know he's not going to get on the plane. Also, apparently he was driving around for a while before he realizes that someone punctured his tire with a piece of broken glass. Slipper? Well, I mean, that makes sense because, right, as he's he's driving, his tire is losing air until finally, I assume, his, his air pressure light came on. He gets out of the car and he sees that his tire has been punctured by, yeah, well, it looks like a piece of the heel of the glass slipper. Back in the flashback, he is in a storm and it's bad. Like, they're all like, oh, we're definitely all going to die in this storm. And there's like a whirlpool that's following us and that's not good. That's definitely not what you want. The bad weather is somehow following us. Could this somehow be connected to the cursed object we pulled out of the ocean? Nah, I'm sorry, boy. I'm sorry that I'm gonna kill you because of my dumb idea about creating a fake adventure for you. That would be really embarrassing to accidentally kill someone you were sending on a fake adventure. Super embarrassing. Henry decides that he's gonna get rid of the ring so that the bad weather will stop following them. But I don't know why of all the treasure he thinks the ring is the one that matters. The ring is not more special than the rest of the treasure, Henry. That was part of the lie to make you think you had an important ring. Whatever. Also, this is literally the plot with Hook and his brother when they joined the Royal Navy. Yeah, and the storm was following them. Yeah, because they had that cursed jewel. Do you think this Hook also had a brother die that way? Presumably. Huh. I mean... His brother presumably also died in the Peter Pan thing. That's just how they got into the Navy to go on the mission that sent them to Peter Pan's Island. Got it. So Henry's like... Presumably. Yeah. So Henry's like, Hook, drive us into the storm so that I can throw the ring into the whirlpool and then we'll all be okay. And then he's all like, hey, hey, I trust you. I trust any Hook in any universe to pilot a ship through a storm. That's dumb. What about the hook from uh, that alternate reality the author created where he was a mop boy yeah right well, actually he was still really good at piloting ships in that episode was he no henry had to teach him how to how to pilot never mind yeah yeah anyway hook is steering the ship it's uh, it's he got killed by david in that universe david 
I mean, I guess David kills a lot yeah. of people. David David does kill quite a few people. Hook steers the ship. It's it's all very cartoony, honestly. But Hook steers the ship, and and Henry climbs out onto the the bow thingy. Is that what it's called? The the stick that sticks out from the front of the ship. Sure. Yeah, anyway, he, he crawls out on that and flings the sapphire into the whirlpool, and then immediately everything stops. The ocean's like, all right, that's what I wanted. Thank you. We're done. Done here. Thank you. Next. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The sea becomes as calm as a piece of glass, like the glass slipper that stabbed his tire in the other, <laughs> in the other plot line. So, you know what I think would have been really funny, just as a contrast to last episode? What? If a giant hand had gone down and moved the warp, uh, the whirlpool away, you know, like when he was trying to throw the uh, coin last episode. Oh yeah, and the ironic cock blocker moved the mug away. Yeah. yeah. Just the ironic cock blocker came back and just moved the whirlpool away because it's the same bloody shot. It I is... don't know why I said bloody there, but it, it's the same shot. I actually did not connect those two things, and now I'm actually really excited about the show because it is. The... Because it is the same thing. He was throwing the ring in there just like he was throwing the coin in the shot glass. It's And they use the same slow motion twirling thing. as. Okay, I didn't put that together. And now that I have, I can't make fun of it. It's too smart. Henry tells Hook that he realized that Jacinda probably just wants to marry and alive him and not have him die at sea trying to get her a ring. So. Fair. I mean, you don't know that. True. But like, he's like, wait. It turns out no one wanted this. Which, to be fair, is how a lot of these things seem to end. This was how the Snow Queen left the show. Wait a second, this was entirely pointless. Yeah, yeah, at least it's just an episode and not a whole arc. Although I do like the Snow Queen season a lot. Yeah, that's true. It is one of the best non-season one. It's got a resolution problem, though. Yeah, well, it has a shitty character motivation problem but that's true for almost all of the big bads yes speaking of big bads with shitty motivation actually you know what no i take that back hansel has great motivation just bad hansel is the reverse of every other villain on once upon a time great motivation bad build-up yeah huh interesting anyway back in hyperion heights nick pulls up to henry's car and is like hey don't you need to get to new york do you need a ride? And Henry's like, um, no, man, I decided I need to see Jacinda, like, right now. Can you take me there instead? And he's like, sure, man. I love to drive suitors to my ex-girlfriend slash baby mama's house. Get in the car! Yeah, Henry should really, I mean, I know him and Nick apparently became bros last time. Okay, this is what bothers me about the Nick stuff. Nick slash Jack stuff. It's not built up at all. Like, the flashback in this episode should have been about Henry and Jack's relationship. Jack should have been the one taking him to get a ring! Yeah. Like, and the scenes with them last episode should have just been with Henry and Nick. Hook shouldn't have been a part of that. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what to say other than that's absolutely correct. It's leading so much on these relationships that... I mean, I guess maybe so there can be more twists, but twists work better when they're built up to. 
Also, I thought this should be the part where the episode ends because it's Henry getting into a serial killer's car. Okay, so basically from now until the end of the episode, every scene ends and feels like it's the end of the episode and they're about to flash up credits and then there's another scene. Yeah, it's real Lord of the Ringsy here. The next scene is back in the flashback. Henry has taken Jacinda, Cinderella, to the only place in all the Enchanted Forest that is not enchanted. Basically, this is the only place where there was no battle or coronation or curse or anything. Because what makes it special is it's the only non-special place in all of Fairytale Land. Although it does look quite a bit like that lake where everything happens. Yes, it does. But I actually really, really love this because it's like, no, we're not getting engaged on the site of this battle or the site of this coronation. Our love is so epic that... This is now the site where we got engaged. Yeah, which good. And, and then he gives her a ring and he's like, I thought it was pretty and you would like it. Please marry me. And yeah, it's nice. And he has this, okay, don't like, what is it? Self-neg? Yeah, I don't even know if that's the word, but it is a problem. It's like when guys on Tinder are like, um, I'm five foot nine because I guess that matters. And it's like, okay, the turnoff isn't your height, dude. The turnoff is you having a bad attitude and it's true henry's speech is full of like i know that i'm not what are you not i know i was like i know i'm not a prince oh wait i am i know i'm not a god oh wait i am i know that i haven't slain dragons oh wait i have like what are you right what are you not henry it's so weird he's like i know that you're you know princess you're you're ella and i'm just some guy and it's like you're not you're not on so many levels and her story functionally doesn't work without you in this universe she did basically nothing until you showed up yeah like i know alternate reality versions of you have done cool stuff what anyway but yeah he proposes yeah he proposes and she says yes Back in Hyperion Heights, we get a really zoomed-in shot of Sabine making beignets so that we can see what they're supposed to look like, as opposed to whatever Tilly was making. Yeah, and Hook's- Which is like, wait, wait a shade on Tilly there. And Hook's like, I thought that Tilly was supposed to be making the beignets. And Sabine makes the very, very good point. She's like, well, this is literally her first day. I have her doing something that she could actually do that would help me. Sabine actually says that she's a great salesperson and that she came up with the genius idea of free samples, which is like, have you never been to any food court in any mall ever in this country? Also, that's not true. You gave her the samples to hand out. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Everybody's happy with the job Tilly did. Tilly's happy with the job. We're done with that plot for today. What a weird little subplot. Well, yeah, I mean, it was the way that they put Tilly and Robin Hood Jr. in the same vicinity, but they could have done that any number of ways. It is weird. And really, that was just so that Margot would be able to patch things up with uh, Kelly, so. Well, I mean, they were also getting them together, because I'm pretty sure they're going to have Tilly and Margot start dating. Yeah, and presumably break the uh, break the curse with true love's kiss. I I would love if that's the direction the show went in, but I don't think it's what's going to happen. But we didn't mention it at the top of this episode, but one of the scenes that they flashed in when they were giving us the previous Leons was them right before the curse promising that they would find each other, so. Yeah, and kissing. Yes. 
But no, I would love it. I would love it if there's this whole thing where Lucy spends all this time keeping Henry and Jacinda from kissing and then Tilly and Margot kiss and it's like, oops, curse broken. We better save Henry's life real fast. Speaking of Henry, he's in the car with Nick, who is... Uh, he's I, giving off some serial killer vibes, which is right, because he's a serial killer. And just this one scene makes me wish that just we had more of Nick acting like a really obvious serial killer for the past, like, five episodes or so, because this is so funny. If you were trying to catch that play, you were cutting it close. Oh, yeah, so I was running late because I was talking to detectives. Turns out that the cold killer guy he had a copy of my book. Really? Yeah. Huh. So, uh, lawyer and storyteller, you guys have a theory on the, on the case? Yeah, sort of. Um, cult members killed his sister, so he's out for revenge, using my book to make it some kind of, like, righteous inquisition. Huh. Oh, hey, get this. I'm pretty sure that this guy thinks that he's Hansel from the fairy tale. <laughs> so, how do you do a Hansel hunt? Take out the later Rosen stores and <laughs> dust for gingerbread. Look for breadcrumbs. So I know we just played the uh, clip, but there's so much suspicious eye work going on. Oh my god, like his shifty eyes. You know what it reminds me of? Is that Simpsons clip? Like, and then we'll know that the dog is suspicious because he'll keep doing this with his eyes. (laughs) Oh, it kind of reminds me of uh, if you're one of the few people who saw, what was that M. Night Shyamalan movie where trees were killing people? The Happening? I think a lot of people saw that. Yeah, The Happening. The bit where Marky Mark is trying to convince that old lady that they're not going to kill her. What? No. There's a lot of really good eye work. Yeah, yeah. Also, there's a lot of stuff in there. Okay, first of all, Steak Out the Lederhosen store is an amazing line. Plus, when he says, um, dust for gingerbread or, uh, breadcrumbs, that was a cute line. And it also made me think about how we always talk about leaving breadcrumbs. In fact, it's the title of this episode, when in the fairy tale, leaving breadcrumbs actively didn't work. That's what didn't work. Yeah. Anyway. Henry notices that uh, Nick has burn scars on his wrist. And he's like, oh, how about you let me out here? Just right here. Which, speaking of being suspicious, you need to, like, keep your cool, Henry. Jeez, don't tip off the serial killer that he's tipped you off that he's the serial killer. So he's like, yeah, let me out. Let me out right here. I changed my mind. I'm going to walk to the airport. And I do love that Nick pulls over, then locks the doors of the car like Henry can't just pull up the... Apparently he can't because he reaches over Nick to hit the unlock button on Nick's side. So I guess there's no unlock button on his side? That's weird. That's not how cars are. But when he reaches over to hit the unlock button, Nick, I guess, just had a syringe of knockout potion, like ready to go he just jabs henry with it knocks him out not the end of the episode right we cut from that to jacinda on her couch thinking about calling henry but not calling henry lucy just kind of shows up and i'm like shouldn't there's a serial killer loose in seattle shouldn't you be more on top of what your daughter is doing yeah right well i mean i guess it's okay because because before you get killed by a serial killer you get that box of chocolates Oh, so she's safe then. Yeah. 
from the serial killer. But, you know, there's other stuff in Seattle that you might not want your, what, 11-year-old running into? Ah, she's, a, she's an industrious kid. She's fine. Anyway, she shows up and is like, hey, mom, I was totally wrong before. You should bone Henry. In fact, I'm going to feel guilty if you do not bone him right now. Yeah. Call him and bone him. And Jason is like, you didn't hear? Henry's moving to New York forever. For a big podcasting job. Okay. <laughs> and Lucy's like, what? No. No. And Jacinda's like, really? I mean, you, you seem so adamant about the two of us not hanging out anymore. What happened? What changed? And Lucy's like, mom, shut up and call Henry. And actually, she does. Jacinda calls Henry, but obviously he doesn't pick up because now he's in Nick's apartment, tied up, and, like, I don't know, it's creepy. I like how Nick has gold records on the wall. What are his gold records? He's a lawyer. Well, remember, he was in a shitty band, so I guess once he got money, he decided to buy someone else's gold records. Oh my god, that's so weird. That's probably true. Also, Nick is looking good in his serial killer uh, tank top. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. I guess the room's supposed to be really hot. There's a giant fireplace. Henry's real sweaty. Oh, because it's like Hansel and Gretel and he's like cooking. Yeah, okay, I got it. Henry is all like, um, Hansel? And Nick's like, yeah, that's me. I'm Hansel. And Henry's like, okay, but how about if you just let me go and I won't tell anyone? Like, well, he changes tax so quickly. He's like, look, why don't we just go to the police? We'll tell them what happened. We'll tell them how super bonkers you are. And then they'll give you help instead of sending you to, I don't know, the prison or the hole or whatever. And then Nick does a really good job of being super creepy. And he's like, um, but if I do that, I won't be able to kill anyone else. And I have a lot more people I need to kill. Duh, Henry. God. Which I also like this flavor on Nick. <laughs> Yeah. Because he's not being, like, a jerk or anything. He's like, well, that's a good suggestion, and I appreciate that you're giving me ideas, but there's a lot more people I need to kill. Let's call that Plan B. Then he takes one of the boxes of chocolates and leaves, and again, could have gone to credits there. But no. We go back to Ronnie's bar. Where Margot and Kelly are like, hey, let's apologize to each other for whatever reason. It's nice. They are patching things up, and... I'm glad that we're not going to drag that out. Yeah, and Marco mentioned, she's like, look, I'm sure that you have a good reason for doing whatever you're doing, but also maybe you should talk to that fiancé you mentioned like seven million episodes ago. And Kelly's like, yeah, you know, I actually do miss him a lot, and I really do maybe want to talk to him again. And Marco's like, oh, look, someone sent you chocolates. It must be him. And Zelina's like, And then we actually do go to credits. Yeah, because they're the serial killer chocolates. Yeah, because Kelly is next, y'all. In fact, the next episode is called Chosen. And the Netflix description is, Kelly consults Weaver when the candy killer adds her name to his hit list. Henry offers to rewrite Hansel's story. And Dr. Facilier comes to collect. Okay, so it's going to be Misery then? Yeah, it is. Which is weird because it's like, so, wait, for whatever reason, Hansel's awake, right? Nick is awake? I guess. So. Although it would be really funny if Nick wasn't, if Jack wasn't Hansel, Nick wasn't Hansel, and it's just that his curse persona is a crazy person. 
Oh my god, that would be weird. Yeah. But... It's a Bell and Lacey thing. But instead, I think what we're to understand is that Hansel is not only awake, but knows that Henry is the author. A thing that apparently, even in the flashback, Henry did not know. Yeah, which, honestly, I want you to rewrite things so that I don't become a crazy serial killer with your magic... With your magic reality warping author powers fair well i don't think he wants to rewrite things so that he's not a serial killer that would be fine and good i think he wants him to rewrite things so that oh okay actually that makes more sense i'm assuming that he wants him to rewrite so that all of the witches die but if he just wants him to rewrite things so that gretel doesn't die that's way better yeah and then he wouldn't become a serial killer yeah well i guess we'll see what happens we'll see where uh we'll see where once upon a time goes with this yeah so, Fashion Corner, I feel like there were a lot of low-key, really good outfits this episode. Yeah, a lot of the women were, like, kind of killing the casual fall outfits. Jacinda looked great in her little nautical getup, and... I like how that was built up, because we see her in the white-knit sweater earlier in the episode, and then it isn't until she goes out that really pulls the outfit together with the jacket and the hat. Yeah, I like it. And it was it was kind of subtle and nice. I also, of course... Liked what Robin Hood Jr. was wearing. I loved her plaid coat. Also, credit to Henry. He's wearing a slightly different take on his uh, adventurer's outfit that has yellow piping on it. And I think it makes it pop a lot more than his typical uh, adventurer's outfit. Yeah, and it also makes it look a little more fancy. So it makes sense that everyone's calling him Prince Henry. Mm. Okay, so uh, do you have a recommendation this week? I do, even though it is so loosely connected. Ooh, is it to watch the Buffy episode Gingerbread? Oh, no, but you should. It's so good. Uh, no, mine was going to be uh, the first season of Veronica Mars. Oh, yeah. I, as, as people who follow us on Twitter know, I just introduced you to Veronica Mars. and It's really good, and it's about finding a murderer. So, connections! There you go. You only need to watch these. If you've never... If somehow you listen to us and, like Max, you have never before watched Veronica Mars... You really only need the first season. It's There's good stuff after that, but the drop in quality is pretty steep. Yeah, the second season is fine. Like, I enjoyed it enough. It didn't, like, ruin the first season or anything for me. I'm just like, this was not quite as good as the first season. I didn't even show him the third season. The movie was fun enough. I like the movie. And the fourth season is pretty okay so far. Yeah, we're like halfway through it, and I am i guess I'm reserving judgment till we're finally done, which we'll probably finish it tonight. You were so close to dropping it. I was, I was, but then it won me back. I was like, I will just keep going tonight and see if it wins me back, and it did win me back. So, we'll see. Yeah, so I think that will about do it. I think that is it. Welcome to Storybrooke is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, head over to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines.com, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or anything television-related, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. Uh, we can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrooke. Storybrooke.